Welcome to Torah Mecha Nach Yomi with the Women's Initiative of the OU. Today we are going to begin our study of Nevi'im and Ketuvim with a basic overall introduction to understanding Nevi'im and Ketuvim. We're going to see that in order to truly appreciate any Sefer in Tanakh, we have to put it back both in its contextual context, meaning to see and appreciate every Sefer within the broader context of Tanakh. By that I mean when we learn a Sefer, or a Parsha even, in Parshat HaShavua, we have to learn it within the context of that entire Sefer. You're not truly going to appreciate, for example, Parshat Miketz, without understanding the development of the theme of Toladot and Sefer Breshit, nor to understand the development of the theme of Kedusha and Sefer Vayikra. But in addition to that, one also has to appreciate that there is a broader context of Hamisha Chumshei Torah. So too, Nevi'im and Ketuvim. So in order for us to appreciate the works of Nevi'im and Ketuvim that we're going to be studying together, we're going to try to appreciate the context of the works of the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim. We begin then with Nevi'im. If I would ask anyone, again, what is the definition? Or can anyone tell me how Nevi'im are different than the words of the Torah? Sometimes people say, well, these are words of the prophets and uh, these are messages of God. But in fact, we know that these messages of the Nevi'im, of the various prophets, are somewhat different than the messages of the Torah by virtue of the fact that the Torah is given by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe Rabbeinu and beginning at Har Sinai, the revelation of Hashem. And sure enough then, whenever we learn any Pasuk, any Parshiyah, in Hamisha Chumshei Torah, we're really learning the words of Hashem as directly given to Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, when Moshe, writing down the words of the Torah, is really teaching us the messages of Hashem. We know that there's machloka with regard to Sefer Dvarim. Even there, where we find words of Moshe Rabbeinu, they're all based directly on the messages of Hashem. And therefore, when we learn Psukim in the Torah, we always ask ourselves, as the Parshanim do, meaning, what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, have in mind? What does the message of Hashem relate to in this Pasuk? But when we turn to Nevi'im, the messages are somewhat different. In other words, the medium is going to be a slightly different medium. This time, these are the messages of Hashem as relate to Nevi'im, and then the Nevi'im decide how they're going to articulate, how they're going to relay those messages to Am Yisrael. So really, when we ask messages with regard to Nevi'im, we're really asking, What is the intention? Or what did the Navi try to teach us? Or perhaps even what de devices, literary, poetic devices, is the Navi attempting to employ in order to enjoin Am Yisrael to do something, to listen to something? That basically is going to be the message of the Navi, as opposed to, for example, Ketuvim. By Ketuvim, these are no longer, according to most Parshanim, messages of Hashem as relate to Nevi'im. But rather, these are the messages of the particular authors, whether they be the messages of Hallel and Hodayah, of David HaMelech and Sefer Tehillim, or whether they be the messages of philosophy in Kohelet, understanding existentialism, the purpose of man's, man's existence in this world, or whether they be beautiful messages of love, Ben Adam Lemakom, Ben Adam Lechavero, and Shir Hashirim. So this is a basic depiction, but in order to properly appreciate even the words of Nevi'im, the messages of the Nevi'im and the messages of the Ketuvim, we're going to go back just for a moment to 
try to even subcategorize these different messages and the different media as well. What do I mean by this? When we refer to Nevi'im, generally, we even divide them between Nevi'im Rishonim and Nevi'im Achronim. And truth be told, the Nevi'im themselves do this because if we open up to Zechariah, one of the Nevi'im who lived during the time period of Tkufat Bayit Sheni, of the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, Zechariah himself implores of the people of his time. He turns to them at the very beginning of his Nevuot and he says, shame on you for not listening to the Nevi'im Rishonim. He says, He says, your parents didn't listen to the earlier, literally, Nevi'im Rishonim, to the first prophets. Now, which prophets is he referring to when he says this? Clearly, the Nevi'im of Tkufat Bayit Rishon, and particularly the prophets who lived during the time of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, namely, Yeshayahu, Yirmiyahu, Yechazkel. So notice the irony that we consider these Nevi'im Achronim today, but in fact, these based on the Tanakh are Nevi'im Rishonim, in which case the only Nevi'im Achronim are the prophets who are living during the time period of the second Beit HaMikdash, namely Chagai, Zachariah, and Malachi. And why is this significant? Because if we look carefully, though, at what we call today Nevi'im Rishonim, Nevi'im Achronim, which is really relatively a modern distinction, knowing that it wasn't until really the printing press, where in both the Sancino printing press, the printing of the Radak, the Abarbanel, because they couldn't print all of the Nevi'im Rishonim, referring to Again, from Yehoshua through Yeshayahu Yermiyahu Yechazkel and the Treyasar up to Zechariah, they literally could not print them as one printing, so they printed Nevi'im Rishonim, referring to Yehoshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, and Melachim. Those all remained basically one book, and therefore they were then categorized as Nevi'im Rishonim. So when the Nevi'im Achronim, such as Chagai, Zechariah, Malachim were printed, they were printed with the rest of the Nevi'im Rishonim, and henceforth became known also as Nevi'im Achronim. Interestingly, though, if we look at this distinction, which was really created by the printing press, but if we look at the distinction between Yehoshua, Shuftim, Shmuel, Melachim, versus Yeshayahu, Yermiyahu, Yechazkel, Treyasar, we do note a very interesting difference in the genre of the Nevi'im. As we mentioned, these are messages of Hashem that are related to the Nevi'im, but we're going to read how the Nevi'im expressed this and ultimately wrote them down for us and we find different genre through which they do. Looking at Yehoshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, and Melachim, we find that these are much more historiographical. These are going to be works of Nevi'im based on what's going on in history, and more often than not, they employ different narrative, different prosaic techniques as they're going to teach us messages. And here already we have to qualify that we're not talking about historical messages. The point of the Nevi'im is not to relay history, even though we learn a tremendous amount of history, particularly Sefer Malachim. Nonetheless, the point of these books, the point of the works of Nevoah, is to teach us religious messages with regard to how we're going to live our lives. And therefore, in order to understand this, we're going to have to bring ourselves back to the time period of the Nevi'im as well. So we have different literary techniques in the genre of Nevi'im Rishonim, whereas Nevi'im Achronim are more collections of the speeches of Nevoah. Imagine a Navi getting up, whether it's in front of the Beit HaMikdash, or as Chazal tell us, some of the Nevi'im in the Shuk. So picture Machana Yehuda today, 
asleep and Navi standing on his soapbox trying to attract the people's attention to listen to the message of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he has to relate to them he is going to employ any type of creative technique to somehow bring other people's attention to him but beyond that we're going to appreciate then the different messages with regard to not only the time period the social messages that he wants to relay how he is going to depict both the time but also through his speeches we're going to learn a tremendous amount about his personality which brings us back now to part of the art of Nivuah, what we're going to explore and what you're going to have the schut to learn together through all different teachers of Tanakh over the course of learning Nevi'im Rishonim and Nevi'im Machronim is going to be to try to appreciate the messages for our time based on the messages that were given during the time of the Navi himself and therefore in order to do this we really do have to put the Navi back not only as we've been doing until now within the context of the tripartite division of Tanakh Torah, Nevi'im and Ketuvim but also with regard to the historical time period of the Navi if we're going to appreciate the messages that the Navi is going to relate to Am Yisrael and then we have to be familiar with some of the challenges. Well, how are we going to figure out the challenges of the time? Very often, especially in the Nevi'im Rishonim, the Navi is going to address them directly. And even when he does not, we're going to be able to extrapolate from various messages of his speeches, of his basic ideas, what some of the political, the social, the religious corruption perhaps is all about. In addition, we also have to understand a little bit of the personality of the Navi. In order to understand the personality of a Navi, we have to go back a little more and try to understand where Navim come from. How does a Navi even become a Navi? So we know that there are different ways, and the Rambam in Mor Nevuchim Chelek Bet has numerous prakim, various chapters, wherein he discusses this very much in depth, trying to teach us how a Navi becomes a Navi and how this is going to also express itself in the different levels of Nevuah, different levels of prophecy. Now this is a phenomenon that we don't necessarily understand today, but certainly during a time period where people understood that God was communicating with man, this was part of the status quo of the generation. It was known that Hashem was going to, just like the words in the Torah itself, Hashem was going to relay His will through the Nevi'im. So how does a Navi, though, become a Navi? Sometimes I like to ask people, when you grow up, what do you want to become? So we have our doctors and our lawyers and our engineers. Well, sometimes I also am a Navi wannabe. And why would a person want to be a Navi? Well, certainly to impact the generation, to uh, communicate with God, that's certainly an advantage. And uh, very often when you open up the works of Yirmiyahu Yechazkel, you have to second guess whether or not you really want to become a Navi. So how does a Navi become a Navi? The Rambam actually addresses this in Moreh Nevuchim as he presents three katot of Nevuah, three different philosophies of Nevuah. The first one he explains is wherein a Navi is born with a Navi gene, and in which case he'll automatically become a Navi. And this, obviously, says the Rambam, can't be because it places all the power of Nivuah and the hands of God is predetermined. The second cut of philosophy, the second philosophical group, claims that everything is in the hands of the people. Anyone who trains sufficiently to become a Navi will automatically become a Navi. The Rambam says that can't be because Nivuah ultimately is in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, wherein the Rambam explains there's a third philosophy, namely that there are certain people who are born with a propensity for Nivuah. These are people who can then work on that talent, very similar to people today who are born with a propensity for musical talent. That doesn't mean that they will automatically become Mozart, but it does mean that if they do work on their talents, then uh, they will be able 
to have a chance of Hashem granting them nevuah. In which case we see that there are certain Nevi'im who never become Nevi'im, even though they work very hard, whether it's Gehazi, Elisha's Talmud, or Baruch ben Nerya, the primary scribe and student of Yirmiyahu Hanavi. The Rambam then continues to teach us that there are also different ways wherein a Navi can actually train them to become a Navi. We know this from various statements of Chazal as well. There are certain Nevi'im who become Nevi'im because they're apprenticed by mentors who are Nevi'im. Whether it's Yehoshua, who was mentored by none other than Moshe Rabbeinu Alav HaShalom, or Elisha, mentored by his mentor Eliyahu or whether it's Baruch ben Nerya being trained by Yirmiyahu Hanavi. Chazal tell us that every Navi by whom we find his father's name mentioned was in fact a Navi ben Navi Haya. So he was mentored by his own father. That's one way to become a Navi. The second way to become a Navi is to actually train by attending Navi training school, of which we find various Navi training schools in Jewish history, starting from the time period of Shmuel Hanavi. David runs away to Shmuel, where we find that there are various Nevi'im in a meditative trance. Hagam Sha'ul the Nevi'im, Sha'ul sends his own messengers and they join together with him ultimately into uh, this meditative state of Nevu'ah. Later on we hear of Eliyahu Hanavi who has Again, different hundreds of Nevi'im in his generation, followed by Elisha, who walks around and takes care of his B'nai Nevi'im, literally his school of, schools of Nevu'ah. But the most famous, the one who has the largest Navi training school of Jewish history, is none other than Yeshayahu HaNavi, who actually addresses his Nevi'im. He addresses his Talmidim in his Nevu'ot by explaining Tzav L'Tzav, Kav L'Kav, Ze'er Sham, Ze'er Sham, teaching them even how to write down his Nevu'ot. So this is the second way wherein a Navi can become a Navi. The third is as we find by Moshe Rabbeinu HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally taking him from the middle of the Midbar as a Roetzon and telling him, you're now going to be a Navi to Am Yisrael. Or Amos, who explains to Amatzia, Lo Navi Anochi, Velo Ben Navi Anochi, Kibokera Anochi. Hashem took me literally from the sycamores and made me a Navi wherein we see that there are certain Nevi'im who are able to refine their character on their own, who are able to reach this level of Ruach HaKodesh and then Nevu'ah by virtue of their own conditioning, their own surroundings, their own uh, literally self-work, self as uh, they are going to aspire and to spiritual and religious greatness. Let's then take a look then, how about all those Nevi'im who attend Navi training school? What are they going to be attending? What do they learn in Navi training school? Well, certainly then they're going to uh, learn speech 101, 102. They're gonna have to learn all different mechanisms, all different devices of, uh, of speech, of learning how to articulate messages to Am Yisrael, the art of rhetoric that they're going to have to employ as well that most of their day is probably spent learning Torah, Torah classes by virtue of the fact that they're going to be interpreting many of the words of the Torah. They're going to be based, basing many of their nevuot on messages, on ideas of the Torah, which means that as we learn nevuah, we're also going to have to see how they're going to be interpreting different ideas of Moshe Rabbeinu, different ideas of Hamisha Chumshe Torah. But in addition to Torah, in addition to speech, they're also attending classes on botany, zoology, learning how to incorporate all different aspects of this world into their nivuot, not only for creative purposes, but also to enliven their nivuot. 
and definitely musicology. They have to learn how to reach these levels of simcha in order to even potentially receive nevuah. So whether it's in the stories of Shaul HaMelech or Elisha HaNavi, we're going to find that there are various Nevi'im who walk around with their musical instruments in order to achieve the status as well. So now that we've learned all the different ways that a Navi can become a Navi, let's take a look and through learning the Nevuot themselves, also appreciate the dynamic between the Navi and his audience. In addition to the style, we're going to try to appreciate also who the Navi in fact is speaking to which now brings us to all the Nevi'im that we have before us. We know that over the course of Be'ezrat Hashem, the next few months, Gena and leading to Asiyum, Asifrei Nevi'im, Rishonim, and Achronim, we're going to be learning various Nevi'im. Chazal teach us in Masecha Megillah 48 Nevi'im that we're going to hear reference to. But as the Rambam explains, based on the messages of the Nevi'im themselves, this is going to be very difficult because we know, and Chazal once again in Masecha Megillah teach us, that there are hundreds of works of Nevi'im. After all, during the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe himself is going to have 70 Nevi'im if you remember in Parshat Bahalotra, that are also going to serve as prophets. And if we fast forward to the time of Shmuel Hanavi, he has a whole school of Nevi'im. During the time of Eliyahu, there are 400 Nevi'i Emet who are murdered by Izebel. And then Ovadia Asher Alabayit says 50 in one cave, 50 in another cave. Wait a second, if you're doing the calculation, that means that there are hundreds of Nevi'im living in every generation. In fact, Chazal say, yes, there are more Nevi'im and many more Nevi'im, and then even left Mitzrayim. So wait a second, there are 600,000 men that left Mitzrayim. And if there are even, again, double, perhaps even triple this amount, wait a second, we're already in the millions of Nevi'im, which if you think about the generations from Moshe Rabbeinu through the time period of Shavat Zion, there really could be. So yes, Chazal will address us also in Masecha Megillah and teach us Nevu'ah Shehutzrecha which Nevi'im are we going to be learning together? We're going to be learning the Nevi'im that were selected by Chazal during Tkufat Bayit Sheni in particular. The ones that they saw had universal messages for all time. What does that mean? The ones that they saw had universal messages. From here, we certainly can understand that there were many Nevi'im and many Nevu'ot that were given much more on a parochial level. There were certain Nevi'im who were told, just speak to this family, speak to this individual. Do we need to hear about these Nevu'ot? Certainly not. We're only going to hear about the nationally oriented ones. Well, which Nevi'im delivered messages to a nation? Those were known as Nevi'ei HaMelech, the court prophets. The Nevi'im who actually were assigned by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to deliver messages to the Navi, to the Melech during their time period. So obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is his own Melech, again, is the Navi HaMelech. But from the time period, basically, of Knisa La'aretz, Yehoshua, is going to deliver national messages of Nevoah to his entire generation. From the time period of Shmuel and An, we're going to hear of a Navi for Shaul, namely Shmuel. And then after Shmuel, we have other Nevi'im for David, namely Gad and Natan. For Shlomo, we have Achia Hashiloni, who then is going to transfer the Melucha to Yeravam ben Nevat. So here we already see the idea of Nevi'im, the Nevi'im that we're going to learn, who generally are nationally oriented Nevi'im, by virtue of the fact that they're Nevi'e HaMelech. Again, all the other Nevi'im that we have, again, we know of some Nevi'ot as well. The other Nevi'im 
Again, it could even be that their nevuot were written down, but over time, because they weren't necessarily on the national level, we're not going to hear about them. Do we even hear about all the nevuot of all of these Nevi'eh HaMelech? Certainly not. You can go to, again, to the Israel Museum and see how there are nevuot there that were preserved by the Kat of Midbar Yehuda that we don't have canonized in our Tanakh by virtue of the fact that they weren't necessarily seen as universally relevant. Only the ones then that either are going to contain a universally relevant message or a nevuah, a positive nevuah that has not yet been fulfilled. So if a navi already delivered a message that was relevant for that time period and it was already fulfilled, so it basically had expired, except if it was a message of tochacha. Unfortunately, messages of rebuke are going to be universally relevant. And therefore, we're going to find numerous messages of tochacha in addition to the eschatological messages of nevuah that are going to accompany us and are certainly relevant for our time as we await, anticipate, and even inspire ourselves to try to fulfill them in our generation. With this, we're now ready to introduce the ketuvim as well. The ketuvim, as we mentioned, are different than the nevi'im. These are no longer messages of nevuah, or as the Rambam explains to us, these, uh, based on Chazal, are written beruach hakodesh. They're written with divine inspiration. These are not direct messages from Hashem, but rather the author himself is going to be almost on that level of nevuah, and therefore you can have works such as Echa, you can have works, Gana, such as Megillat Ruth, that even though they're written by the same Nevi'im, Yirmiyahu Shmuel respectively, are written on a different level. They're not direct messages, rather these are messages, in fact, that the authors themselves are going to share with us, and we're meant to appreciate those, uh, those particular messages. The Abarbanel disagrees with the Rambam and explains how could that be? How could it be that Shmuel Hanavi wrote his Nivua of Shmuel, wrote his Nivua of Sefer Shoftim, and then what? Was he demoted as uh, he then wrote Sefer Rut? Or Yirmiyahu? Yirmiyahu wrote Sefer Malachim according to Chazal and Masachat Bavabatra, and then he wrote his own speeches of Nivua and Sefer Yirmiyahu. And then he uh, was so depressed that he couldn't receive nevuah, and he wrote the Lamentations of Eicha. Perhaps the Abarbanel says no. Here we go back to canonization. The Abarbanel explains that really, if we understand the process of canonization, how these works of Nevi'im and Ketuvim were ultimately preserved for thousands of years, we appreciate how during the time period when uh, they were actually given and then written, how some Nevi'im and some works of Nevu'ah became popular and some less popular. So it could very well be that certain works, such as Tihilim, were written by David HaMelech ben Nevu'ah, but not all of them became so popular during his time period. According to the Abarbanel, here we see that it was only during Tkufa Bayecheni that some of these works became more popular, and as such, they were canonized, but no longer as works of Nevu'ah. Rather, they were placed separately, basically after the works of Nevu'ah, and therefore, but they became known as Ketuvim. Halachically, the Abarbanel proves that Chazal teach us that you can put works of Ketuvim on top of works of Nevi'im because they really are, to a certain degree, interchangeable. It really is a chronological distinction to teach us which of the works became accepted already during the time period of the first Beit HaMikdash and which ones during the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. And we're going to speak more about this, Be'ez Rat Hashem, as we reintroduce the Ketuvim, understanding how even within the Ketuvim, there were some that were initially very popular and very universal accepted, and others such as Kohelet, Esther, Shir Hashirim, that were wrought with controversy during the time that they were actually written, 
and only accepted by Chazal to be canonized as a work of Sifrei Tanakh that are going to be taught in the Beit HaMikdash and thereby perpetuated for generations thereafter only at a later date. With this then, I hope that we're all excited to begin with our study of Nevi'im. We're going to begin very shortly with Sefer Yehoshua. We're going to understand that in order for us to appreciate the messages of Yehoshua Benun, we're going to have to go back a little to the time period of Yehoshua, namely the challenges that are facing Yehoshua. We're going to have to understand then who his audience is. We're going to have to appreciate how Yehoshua even became a Navi, and certainly then the messages for his time, ultimately Nevi'im in order to appreciate the messages for our time. <laughs> 